Okay, apologies for starting a little bit later today. Thank you all for coming uh, to uh, today's event. And a very warm welcome to my very distinguished uh, guests here in the in the panel on an event on uh, the future of uh, euro area governance. Uh, not uh, an, uh, an original <laughs> subject, I should say. Uh, certainly not here in Brussels, but certainly with a lot of many ideas that need in need of greater impetus. Um, we are going to try something different today, and uh, I'd like you to join me in helping us uh, do this something differently. We are going to be using um, media today to try and pose some questions in which we would like to see your, your actions. Uh, we are going to use uh, a website. <coughs> Is that okay? Uh, we are going to use a, a website uh, called slido.org, I believe. Strider.com. If you can go into this website, can you put the details, please, on the? Uh... It will work. <laughs> and what we're making, what we ask you to do is to log into this uh, um, into this website with the event number. And we will be asking questions, we will ask you to vote and see how you react differently or perhaps similarly to our panelists and hoping to inform the debate on the questions that we, we are asking. Um, so while we're waiting for, for this uh, to happen, perhaps I can introduce my first uh, panelist, um, Gudrun Wolf, who is the director here at Bruegel. Um, a number of questions that we would like to, uh, to pose. Uh, um, <clears throat> Do we have the question? Yeah. <laughs> Read the first question up. <laughs> and it is really about priorities in the euro area. It's not a very, it's not a very original question, but it is one that is in need of, uh, of an urgent answer. And, and as we're thinking about reforming Europe, there is a number of ideas around, a lot of disagreement around. And Gudrun, I'd like to ask you, how would you go about prioritizing reforms? Where do you think are things that we cannot afford to wait? What are things that perhaps we're not ready for? And what would you like to do differently in this, uh, in this respect? So here are the, uh, the priorities for the EU. Um, fiscal union, banking union, political union, or all of the above. Guntram. Well, I, I guess if I start talking, I will. Can you keep the slides on? I think uh, if I start talking, I will influence the results. So, uh, so probably I should, oh, maybe not. should first talk about some, some generalities. You've already influenced them. Um, uh, and so, so it's, it's live. Um, I, see, I see the audience uh, sort of likes banking unions so far. And um, uh, I have to say, I, I personally also do think that the, the, the first immediate thing that's on the agenda is, is banking union. I mean, we've started something on banking union. Um, we have created uh, a massive step forward, which is um, uh, the single supervisory mechanism and the single rule book. So this, this is huge and this is major. And I think it will, uh, in, the, in the medium term, transform European banking industry. And I think that's a major, major new step. And so, so I, I do think that um, there we need to finish what we have started. And finishing what we have started means uh, uh, moving ahead with the remaining uh, uh, pillars of banking union. And that's in particular the fiscal backstop to the resolution, uh, single resolution fund, as well as the, um, uh, the uh, single uh, uh, European, the European deposit insurance system. 
and as, as controversial as that is, I think we should, we should move there. Um, we need transition periods. We need to get uh, over some of the legacy issues. That's very clear. Um, there is the issue of how do we treat um, sovereign bonds on the balance sheets of, of banks. And there, I certainly believe, uh, and I'm in, in the camp of those that think we, sh we should gradually reduce the exposure of banks to uh, the sovereign bonds um, uh, of the country in which the banks are, are located. And ultimately, what we need, we need a more European banking industry, so, so basically more cross-border banking um, and uh, banks that don't feel at home in a specific country, but that feel at home in the euro area. And, and that, that's so, sort of a necessary step for, for the stability of the eurozone. Now, now, then the question is, what else can be done, um, and how quickly can you move on all the other things? Um, and there, um, sort of, I never really understood what um, the term political union means. I mean, we, we talk about political union, but um, in a sense, we have that already. I mean, we, we are in a, in a union, and we have cross-border debates and fights, and these fights perhaps should be seen uh, also as, as a positive sign of us uh, actually you know, working with each other to find solutions. Because guess what? I mean, even established federations like the United States, and there's lots of fights about money, right? I mean, there's lots of fights who gets, who gets the money, who pays, and so on. So, so I think that's perhaps just sort of a normal feature of, uh, of, of where we are and where we will go. Now, I'm much more skeptical um, as concerns all these discussions on uh, uh, safe assets, um, and especially uh, um, these uh, new constructions that the Commission seems to be pushing, SBs, um, I don't know how they are called in, uh, in Commission jargon, but so, so basically this collateralized debt obligations based on a basket um, uh, of, uh, of sovereign bonds, I do think actually that, that creates quite some problems because it can uh, um, render um, national sovereign debt um, 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 junior to, to these uh, these SPs, uh, and thereby actually increase the likelihood of, of a financial crisis. So I would be rather cautious uh, moving on that. Eventually, uh, we need a safe asset, and if we have a safe a single safe asset, the eurozone will be much stronger. But I think there's just no way of getting a safe asset without actually doing it. Uh, mm. So I think that's the big political discussion: Can we create? tax resources at the European level, and can we associate to these tax resources a capacity to issue debt? So I think either you do the full Monty, or you stay in the, in the current system uh, uh, with basically national, national debt. So I think you probably then, if I understand you correctly, that you, you agree with our audience that it's banking union that needs to happen first, and then in degrees of ambitions we move uh, forward. But if I may turn and, and talk about the speed at which we should be completing banking union, is this something that needs to happen today or is it something that happens urgently or perhaps you know, it will happen and it needs to happen, uh, but the speed is, is, is perhaps something that we can think about. And let me turn to, to my second guest here, and Manfred Weber, who is the chair of the EPP group in the European Parliament. And can I ask you then our second question and, and, and ask, you, ask our audience also to, uh, to vote on this and perhaps think about the level of, of advancement in euro area governance and, and have a view on whether this is going at speeds that are acceptable or they needed to be speeded up or perhaps take the time and sit back of how to do it and do it, if we can't have the full monty, then decide exactly what it is that we want to do and how to do it best. Uh, so then euro area reform is, is advancing. What is your view? Is it going to... <laughs> <laughs> too slow. <laughs> 
Okay, those of you who are keen to, uh, to express your views, obviously you think we're going too slow. Do you think we're going at a reasonable pace, pace, and, uh, pace and the pace that we can afford to go, or we can afford to go uh, a bit slower? Manfred. Maria, thanks for the invitation, first of all, and uh, answering to the concrete question. I would say that uh, for those who, who have an idea about what are the questions and the problems on the table, nobody will say that Europe is, uh, uh, is fast enough, never because it's so challenging to bring 27, 28 for the moment, but in the future 27 member states together, the European Parliament, 750 colleagues out of 150 different parties in the European Parliament, it's a different group. So it is a big challenge to, to bring colleagues together, to, to come to a common understanding. That takes time. Sure. So it's never uh, fast enough. But I would say having the general title about the euro area reform in mind, I would say that we did, first of all, a great job. So I want to uh, remind on this, because we have now a growth rate of 2.5% in the Eurozone. We have a very stable situation. I, I read some old articles from, uh, Gideon, from you about, about the death of the Euro and so on. So that, having this in mind, I must say that, uh, that it, is, it is a perfect, not a perfect, but it's a very solid and good situation. We are creating jobs. We have the lowest unemployment rate since 2009, I, I think. Having all these points in mind, it took a lot of time. There were a lot of crisis uh, council meetings needed for doing so. But finally, we achieved a good outcome. In the banking union, we did a good job. And, uh, and now we have to finalize it in a way. The last jobs have to be done. And that is exactly what uh, people obviously indicate in telling us we are too slowly to use the momentum of the positive economic development for finalizing uh, uh, the banking union and the euro area reform. I also would say there is a need to conclude it now, but when I as a politician would have to prioritize for 2018 our, our jobs, then I would say highest priority is migration because that is the politically open bound of this continent. Second is about uh, Brexit. We have to give a proper answer what happens in next year. Third is about the MFF, so the money question for the budget, whether we can create, whether we can, keep, can give the Europeans an idea that we can still agree uh, and as a third point, I would say the euro uh, area reform. Uh, that, are the, that are the four hot potatoes on the table for yeah. 2019. And frankly speaking, having 2.5% growth rate in mind, it's not the most urgent point, even if it is an important point. But if I may ask, so obviously we're going too slow, but, but how do you speed up in a, in a system that you just described, where you know, the consensus philosophy and the consensus approach to everything is, is slowing us down in terms of addressing the problems as they arrive to us? How do you speed up? Uh, first of all, we need, uh, uh, we need politicians who has, uh, have the will to decide. And uh, our biggest problem for the moment is that we are waiting for Berlin. <laughs> that is our biggest problem at the moment. Uh, we cannot act on the council side, first of all, without the government in Berlin. So for me as an EPP member, it's really a totally new experience because I wish that in these weeks the socialists all the best in Germany, I have to say. <laughs> it's a totally new experience for me, but I do so. Uh, because I hope that they will say yes sure. to the coalition agreement. And then when the new government is in office, Angela Merkel will be re-elected in three weeks' time. Then together with Macron, we can, we can, we can go further. And the base, I think, on the content, when we look to the possible reform scenarios, uh, additional steps, from my understanding is, uh, is uh, the December package from the Commission, so Jean-Claude Juncker's approach uh, to, to go further is a good middle way between the very skeptical some parts of the German Bundestag, very skeptical towards more Europe, <laughs> more euro reforms, and a very promising and 
forward-looking approach of the Sorbonne speech of uh, Macron. Uh, and the middle way is, I think, the Juncker proposal. And when we discussed in Berlin the coalition text, uh, when we wrote it, uh, uh, then, uh, then this was the orientation, that the Juncker proposal is a good middle way for us. Okay, so the, uh, the number of interesting issues, I think I'll come back to a number of them, but I would like to give also the, uh, our third panelist uh, the opportunity to, to come into the discussion. Our third panelist is uh, Gideon Rachman from the Financial Times, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator. Um, the third question, if we can bring the third question I'd like to put up, is really about, well, you know, what is hindering us from, from reforming the euro area? And, and there are alternative things that you can think about. We've put, we had difficulty actually trying to sort of have the whole spectrum of possible things that maybe are, are hindering us. But here are four, and I urge you to, to vote here. Divergent visions, um, or you think that the problems that we have are the ones that are preventing us from moving forward. Um, or is it the lack of understanding at the citizen level, actually, on what the EU actually does and why does it? And finally, the, uh, the uh, old-fashioned institutions. There are, we need to reform the institutions before we, can, we have um, uh, an advancement. Um, Gideon, what is your take on this? Well, I think I'm with the audience, divergent visions, although I'd say A, B, and C are, are quite similar, actually, because you have diverging visions because there are unresolved problems that people can't, can't agree on and, and a lack of understanding about what the EU does. They, they kind of merge into the same. But I think Manfred was right. I mean, to, to slightly tease me about writing about the euro uh, in quite negative terms, although I have to say I wasn't alone in that. You know, there was a, a, a very uh, intense crisis for some years. And if I think back to those years, it felt like every other week me or my colleagues were writing about what was going to happen in the eurozone. And I no. suppose it's a sign of the good news that you're talking about, is that we no longer do that. We have other bigger problems to worry about. We write about Brexit, we write about Trump, and that's good because if you have loads of, seeing lots of journalists gathering in one place and seeing lo like lots of vultures gathering in one place, it's usually not a good sign. <laughs> um, and I think that you know, the, sense of the sense of crisis about the euro has, has passed. And the big question is whether this is a temporary lull and that there's something fundamentally um, unstable about the structure, unfinished about the structure, which means that you're just waiting for the next crisis, um, or whether in fact what happened in 2008 was kind of unique because of the intensity of what began with Lehman Brothers. And actually, it's okay to be less urgent about it now because you've got quite a lot of time to get things together. And uh, you know, as they say, time alone will tell. But what, what strikes me is that Manfred's certainly right about the positive news about the, the euro area, and you, you pick that up, you know, if you, in the US even, if you talk to people in the financial community, there's now really quite sort of positive sentiment about Europe as a future growth hole, and a lot of the gloom that you had before has dissipated for now. Um, but I think that the downside of that possibly is that it's drained away some of the sense of urgency about Euro, Eurozone reform. So I was really struck that Manfred said, okay, like it's priority four. Uh, and when you've got these three other very big things, mm -hmm. you do wonder how much energy you can put into it. Um, and it also strikes me, I think, that some of those big issues that were highlighted there remain unresolved. Now, you've got millions of experts here at Bruegel who know in, in great detail, much greater detail than I will ever master, the intricacies of ESMs and various Eurobond proposals. But it seems to me that behind all of 
a lot of those, those debates, there's a big unresolved political issue and an issue to do with trust, really, which is this central question between countries with relatively sound finances and countries with less sound finances about do the, uh, the, the, the Germanys and the Netherlands feel, feel that they're being sucked or in danger of being sucked into a transfer union? Um, are they prepared to, to take that step? And if they demand as a quid pro quo from, you know, inverted commas, the southern European countries that the only way we'll ever do that is with much tighter central control from Brussels, very intrusive international budgets, whether that is politically tolerable in a, in yeah. a country like France or, or Italy. And I, I'm not sure that you're much closer to getting resolving that. Maybe you're right, uh, Guntram, that you'll just do it by baby steps mm -hmm. and then eventually we'll find we're there. But it seems to me that one of the issues for the Eurozone is that the issues now are, are quite clear and quite stark and voters are quite suspicious. So as soon as you say, you know, underwriting bank banking insurance, underwrite deposit insurance, immediately alarm bells go off in Northern Europe about, hang on, you mean we're underwriting the Italian banks? Isn't that a bit of a problem? And similarly, you know, I was talking to you earlier about my experience going to the German Chancellery and, and talking to them about a proposal that Hollande was floating at the time about unemployment insurance as an automatic stabilizer across Europe. And they, they literally laughed, you know, because they just said, well, there's no way we can get mm. that through. And I, I think I, proposal after proposal, then, okay, how about euro bonds? Hang on, so we're underwriting weaker economies. I'm not sure that, that you yet have that that level of trust, or that you're frankly getting much closer to it. But, but you know, the Brits are now, we're always outsiders from the euro area, we're soon going to be outsiders from the EU, so maybe I'm missing something and you'll get there, but, but I, I don't think, I don't see it myself. Well, thank you, actually, you, you, I want to go, take a step back, actually, and, and, and come back with, thank you, first of all, for, for answering the questions, uh, very detailed questions, but if I, if I may ask all of three, if you can stay, take a step back, and actually, the, the answer, the first answer to the, uh, to the last question, this idea of different visions of Europe, and ask you if you can, if you can give us um, uh, like a, a three-minute uh, summary of how you see the future of Europe. Where do you see the issue of trust that Gideon raised? Where, where is it that you think Europe ought to be in 50 years from now, um, or you know, maybe 10 years from now, but 50 years if you want to say, say, okay, this is where we want to end up, and this is what I would like to see happen in the next in the next five to ten years in order to make sure that we, that we, that we get there. Um, I, know I, I mean, if you can have, give us, Martha, if I can start with you and give us um, maybe three or four issues where you think, okay, this is where I want Europe to go and this is what I think we need to do. You mean especially on the euro now? On the euro area, yes. yes. Um, well, I would, I would use some, some titles for, for this. I would say, first is Europe is about solidarity. Mm. Europe is about solidarity. And we practiced solidarity in the last years a lot in the European Union. And I would say to use our, our budget in the European Union, uh, when we talk, for example, about the regional funds, when we, when we use the money of the European Union in a better way to achieve what we need for the economic success. That is part of the euro. The euro can only be successful with economic success. So that's why I think to practice solidarity in this regards is a good thing. I, my, my group, We'll vote tomorrow on a Europe paper for our ideas for the future of the Eurozone. And there will be included the idea of um, including inside of the EU budget uh, uh, a budget line to uh, compensate asymmetric shocks. So if we have in the future a Lehman crisis, which is an asymmetric shock from an external angle, 
uh, then, then we have the possibility to react from a European point. So create stability inside of the Eurozone. Um, to the solidarity question, I also would add the idea to assist those who want to join the Eurozone. We have still a lot of members who are not members of, of the Eurozone. And when uh, Andrei Plenkovich, a friend of mine, or when Boyko Borisov is going to his country and telling people we have to be a member of the Eurozone, then I think it's worth to invest, to help them, to assist them, to bring them on the level of the Euro uh, 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 needs and, and go forward. On the other hand, I have to say, when Babish is telling people in Czech Republic that the Euro, that the Euro is, a, is a nightmare, then he has no right to sit on the table when we decide about the Euro, huh? because that is also clear. To make a clear distinction between those politicians who believe in the project, who are arguing in this, and those who are not doing so. Solidarity. Mm -hmm. Second aspect is um, democracy. Uh, as a parliamentarian, you would probably be not surprised when I mention this. I became group leader of CPP four years ago, at the beginning of this term. And my first experience was that I was traveling to Portugal, met Pasha Coelho in this time as prime minister. I was uh, going to Enda Kenny in Ireland as a Taoiseach in these times. And, uh, and uh, we discussed a lot. This were the period of program uh, times, where they had to do cuttings, the necessary reforms. And in all these talks I had there, one of my deep impressions was that they told me we respect and we accept that we have to do our job. They were EPP politicians. They understood that they cannot spend more than they have as a taxation income. But they told me always, I don't accept that I, as an elected prime minister of an independent in a way, independent country, if a sovereign country, has to talk on this program approach with officials from the ECBs, the IMF, and the, and, the, and the Commission. So there were officials on the other side. They told me, sorry, please respect me. I want to talk with politicians. We have to talk about cuttings of pensions, about this aspect that has a lot to do with, with proudness, with, with respect, in a way, uh, how we deal with member states who, who has troubles, have troubles. And, and, and that's why I, I, I absolutely support and, 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 and respect what Jean-Claude Juncker did in the second program for Greece, for example, because he himself negotiated with Cyprus about the program. That was not publicly uh, supported in Germany, frankly speaking. A lot of criticism was there. Why commission must jump in, political commission, and all these questions. There a rebate behind and all these points. I think it's a question of respect. And for the future, it's about influence of the European Parliament. When we talk about the question of um, uh, uh, the country-specific recommendations on the, uh, uh, on the Euro side, when we talk about the question when the future EMF, uh, European Monetary Fund, managing director will be nominated, then I say not without this vote on the European Parliament side. I want to have an independent European Monetary Fund, full stop, but the vote on a managing director must be a public decision in a way, a democratic decision in a way. That must be in the, in the hand of the European Parliament. Uh, only to give you a few ideas about what I mean with democratic uh, uh, perception. The people must have the assurance that all the steps we are doing are not seen as external powers who are dominating my life. As a, they must have the idea, they must, have, they must see that they can influence the development, and that means through European politics, through European politicians. And the third element is, uh, for many EPP politicians, please don't be surprised, it's responsibility. Huh? We still think that uh, uh, solidarity means not better spending. Solidarity means, first of all, take over responsibility. So stable budgets, uh, uh, the question of, uh, of the reform approach is not over. 
When I look to some of the governmental developments of the last uh, weeks and months, even in a country which I know best, I have to say, um, <coughs> I must say that we are very good in consumption and not so good in investments. We are very good in consumptions. We are spending money for pensions and for everything, but not so much for investments in the good future. And that's why I think we have to, we have to take over responsibility to do the necessary reforms to, to invest in the future. And the euro can only have a good future if uh, finally, having all the technical questions in mind, which, which we are discussing today, if we finally can really achieve a strong will to defend our European Union, because the euro is the key question for the, for the idea of the founding of the European Union. You see this when you listen to Le Pen, to Salvini, to Strache, to others who are against or very negative towards Europe. They first pick out the euro question because they see this as a key issue for our union, uh, which we have established over the last decades. And that's why to, if we want to defend this, we have to do research, investment in innovation. We have to do trade agreements. We have to do uh, uh, labor market reform and all that stuff. We have to do for creating good conditions to invest in the European Union. That would be a kind of a framework from, from an EPP point of view. But can I ask you, do you think that the, um, <clears throat> I mean, we know why we have created the euro. Um, do you think that we are prepared to put in place what it is necessary for the euro to survive? And I'm talking, if I may take a textbook of you for a minute, I mean, a, a common currency, which, by the way, relies entirely on trust. And if I believe Gideon, and in fact a lot of many others were saying that they're, they're doubting this, uh, this existence of trust, can we, what do we need to put in place for the euro to survive? And of course I agree with you, the stability, democracy, and responsibility are of course very important principles. But what would you need to see in 10 years from now in place, different to what we have today, if you like from the economic side, to ensure uh, that the euro is actually sustainable and uh, it, 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 it goes beyond the, uh, the risks that are going to hit they undoubtedly will hit the euro area. Are you willing to go down the, uh, the fiscal side? I mean, we create a centralization, uh, risking uh, pulling risks together. Um, is this an, a necessary uh, ingredient towards ensuring that the euro survives? Is it political union, irrespective of what political union is? And, and I agree with Guntram here that the, the definition of political union is anything, it's like beauty, eh? it's in the eye of the beholders. But where, where, uh, where do you think is the necessary <coughs> uh, limits that we need to overcome in order for the euro to survive, based on your principles, of course. Again, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that we are so far away from what you described that we are already thinking in a common institute. Please have in mind that three out of four Europeans are in favor of the euro. Say so welcome. It's, it's it's their currency. Mm -hmm. Le Pen couldn't succeed in France to convince people that it's better without. She had no idea about how she wants to do it. That was the practical reason behind. <laughs> but on the other hand. Even emotionally, people are already very close to the euro, to mm. my currency. It's my currency already. That's why I think we are not so far away. Uh, on this, on, on, on the key question is still, do we respect our agreements, what we agreed in the euro? That is still the fundamental thing. So about the debt rate, about uh, the, the necessary, uh, uh, the need of, of reforms and so on. And with this is in all the countries where we respect the, the, the common agreements, like in the program countries where it was forced to do so, but they agreed on this. Uh, we have positive economic development and stable situations. So again, I don't see really the big, the big revolution necessary. It's, it's really about going further steps. And what, what you had on, as possible answers on, 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 your, on, on the screen was clear. Uh, banking union is not uh, finalized. Uh, we have to go further. 
And one of the key questions in the banking union field will be how we deal with Brexit, mm -hmm. because that is a new task now on the table, which will create uncertainty and stability. <laughs> Having City of London in mind, it's, it's uh, so important. Um, and uh, and on, the, on, the, on the, let me say, backstop question, I think the ideas from the Commission on the ESM and other good, good proposals that we are not rescuing in future crisis times states, like we did it in Spain, for example, to assist the state, but we are also are ready to spend the money directly to the financial sector if needed, if the banking union alone is not uh, sustainable in us yeah. and stable in us. So I think, let me simply say, uh, from the Euro's point of view, first of all, I, I'm happy to be a proud European that we manage this in this way, that we can really go the future steps now in a more technical approach to talk about the details. And that's not so much about Germany, France. I see it more in a debate about, again, socialists and, and, and the EPP okay. family, how we, how we deal now with the concrete questions. I see. Okay, thank you very much. And Guntram, if I may turn to you, uh, what are, do you think we can afford not to have a revolution, that baby steps are, are sufficient and, and concrete enough? to make a difference for the euro to survive? Well, I guess my, my first point would be that um, I think we will remain a, a hybrid, a hybrid uh, construction where the member states <coughs> will play a much more important role than in any established currency union. Um, so uh, if you look at the United States, um, 25% of government spending is at the federal, 25% of GDP is spent at the federal level and 20% also is spent at the, at the state level. Now that didn't happen because the states were spending a lot and then shifting that spending and giving that spending to, the, to Washington so that Washington spends that money, right? So uh, states didn't want to give anything. So what happened was that in the course of the 20th century, um, the federal level developed and became bigger. And I think that's exactly the problem that we have in the Eurozone. We, we have basically established states with established welfare states, with established uh, defense, established uh, uh, migration policies. I mean, basically fully functioning states. And, and those states are not happy to give up things. And I think, I think the way you see that very clearly now is, um, uh, in, and Manfred Weber mentioned the ESM debate. I mean, I think the ESM debate is, of course, one of the crucial debates that is ongoing. Will we be able to shift from a system where uh, we have unanimity, so where basically the member states can block each other in all situations, and where we need all the national parliaments in the member states that require the national parliaments to, to agree uh, to agree? Or will we come to a system where, um, you know, perhaps we move from to some sort of a supermajority, but we have a second vote, which is the European Parliament? And um, my reading of the coalition agreement in Berlin is that the decision is, well, the prerogatives of the Bundestag cannot be touched, so Berlin, uh, the Bundestag doesn't want to, want to give that budgetary power to you. I mean, they, they want, to, uh, want to remain in charge. And so... So that's why I think, um, I mean, I, I feel that it will be very difficult to do um, this, this next big step, which would be essentially a step where um, the European Parliament, the European Commission, and the European t uh, institutions together can actually um, overturn uh, uh, or um, overcome a national decision outside of a program context. I mean, in a program, when you don't have access to the markets, sort of the power relation changes, and then you can force uh, people. But outside, 
you can't. And and so so and I my my feeling is we will probably not be able to to go that that extra step. Now, does that mean that the eurozone itself is under threat? Well, I'm not so sure. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's a question of. Mm you know, when there is the next crisis, will we be able to forge the political compromises and, you know, what consequences will, he, will it have? So I, I think probably what it, I guess my bottom line is it will probably not be an efficiently, as efficiently working as a centralized uh, uh, federal union. But hey, also federal unions make bis big mistakes. I mean, Congress in the U.S. does take wrong decisions on fiscal policy, does take wrong decisions on tax policy, right? I mean, as they do currently. <laughs> Um, so that will happen also here, but at the end it will be a question of will all the countries around the table be ready to, uh, to continue to work together, and um, I think that depends very much on can they, at the end of the day, show overall benefits to, to citizens, and that's much more than just the economics, it's many sure. other aspects, it's migration and so on, and so that, I think that's where we will sort of uh, end up with, with, yeah. with this debate. Thank you, Gudrun. But then, Gideon, can I turn to you immediately? Because this is this very last issue that the euro, you know, we will fix it. I mean, like we did the problems we overcome. Um, they might not be terribly efficient, but it, it will survive and it will be. It, we'll do it because we always have done. But you mentioned trust. Mm. And, you know, can we do it without trust? Why isn't there a trust? And, and you know, what, what kind of risk? Well, tr trust is at several levels, isn't it? Sure. There's, there's, there's uh, trust between peoples, between governments, but also the trust of the markets. And I mean, you, you asked earlier what would be an ambition for the euro in 20, 30 years' time. And I, I, I guess if you want to look at it in an international way, it would be that it would be a global reserve currency with a comparable status to the dollar. And there, there, there is a sort of gap in the market, if you like, at the moment, because uh, people are concerned about the fiscal course of the United States, particularly after these tax cuts, which are likely to explode the US deficit even further, the US political system does not inspire enormous confidence at the moment, and yet it's all we've got um, in terms of a global reserve currency. There's a lot of talk about, well, will the RMB become a global reserve currency, but it's not fully convertible, um, and the Chinese government is very reluctant to go that route because they're scared of capital flight, etc. So why shouldn't it be the euro? In a way, it's a, you know, it is a fully convertible currency, it's, it's backed by advanced economies, <laughs> The answer to that at the moment, I think, is that, A, it's the legacy of the, the euro crisis. Yep. It's still too recent for people to say, OK, we, we're fully confident this currency is going to work. Secondly, it remains an experimental currency because it is a transnational currency. And uh, you know all the literature that says over time these eventually break up if they're not backed by a political union. Maybe that won't be the case. But people need to have that demonstrated over the course of, of a period of time. And I think in also the euro will never or may never fully command international confidence until it fully commands the confidence of Europeans. So if you've still got EU members like the Czechs, the Swedes, the Danes who are saying, you know what, we actually would prefer not to join the single currency for the moment, um, and people actually being explicitly repudiating it like Babish, that doesn't send a great message internationally. But if, you, if, if over the course of a few years, uh, actually the euro outs decide they want to become euro ins, I think that sends a, a message of stability. Just to put a lot, but to end on a last note of skepticism, I, mean, I think it's true that <coughs> the fact that the euro came through the crisis does create confidence that the next crisis somehow they'll find a way. 
But I think that one of the reasons that came through the crisis was, was a negative reason as much as a positive reason. It mm. was that people suddenly were conscious of the enormous dangers of dropping out. Mm. That if you leave, if you're Greece and you leave, your whole banking system could collapse. So it's not, uh, it wasn't necessarily a, a huge vote of confidence. It was just that it, it felt almost like a trap. Um, and that, I think, uh, you've got to overcome that. You've got to create a sense, as, as Manfred was saying, that this is a positive thing rather than just, oh, my God, there's no way out of here. Mm, okay, thank you very much. Any comments on this uh, before we open up the floor on this very last thing? Is it the positive message is as important as, unfortunately, the negative? I like this very much because having the starting point is comparing the euro, the European Union with Americans in mind. It's yeah. about the taxation or the budgetary uh, concerns. But it's also about trade policy, for example. Mm. So the, we are still ready with Mercosur, with Japan, to do the necessary trade agreements. America is not. Uh, so they are building up walls. We build up bridges. So I think we have a huge opportunity in the next years yeah. ahead of us that the European Union can, on a global level, show that we are the continent where you can trust in, where you can work together, where you have a stable partner. And if we want to achieve something, I think we should go one step further. We should also say that we are not, a cred not only a credible partner, we should also say uh, on global level that we have uh, ideas we stand for. So the idea of a European way of life, how we think that the society should work, we should combine this together. Because mm. Euro is not, is not a technical approach, you see. It's a, it's a much more bigger question about whether we can be strong enough in the globalized world to defend what, what, what we believe in. Thank you. Good job. Yes? Well, I mean, I, I, I wanted to, perhaps because we still have a bit of time before opening for the audience, yes, so I, so I wanted to just yeah. sort of talk a little bit about sort of the expansion of the Eurozone and, you know, does mm. it make sense to to expand quickly or, or, or not? And, and because you mentioned Sweden and Denmark. So, so I mean, I do note uh, that Sweden, Denmark um, Czech uh, um, are sort of very skeptical uh, while uh, uh, Bulgaria uh, seems to seems to want to join, and you know that that I think that asymmetry sort of between the north and the south certainly raises a lot of questions. Um, uh, I think in uh, uh, in political discussions in Berlin and elsewhere. So so I think, I mean I think from a European institutional point of view, I I, I, I would be quite cautious in being too quick on expanding the eurozone without being sure that you know, all the conditions are in place in the member states that, that you want to extend the, the, the euro to. Because, they, they, I mean, there is still issues of good governance, issues of uh, uh, trust um, that you know, will go down, if anything, if we expand the eurozone to, to countries that perhaps have weak institutions, perhaps have corruption, and so on. So I'm, I, I have to admit, I, I was a little bit uh, negatively surprised by uh, sort of the readiness that um, the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker in particular, showed for, for Bulgaria joining rather soon um, the, the Eurozone. I think it takes, it takes a lot of sort of good institutions, good of improvements, good of trust building, so that the whole project actually uh, keeps together because the more, the more heterogeneous the union becomes, the more we have poorer and richer countries in the same union, the more difficult it will be actually in the next crisis to keep it all together and you know agree on the next steps that may be necessary in terms of risk sharing and so on. Do you think the, sorry, do, yeah. do you think the enthusiasm was partly because they're looking for a kind of vote of confidence and to be able to say, oh look, countries are queuing up to join the euro? Was it that crude or 
Well, I mean, there, there may be that. There may be also party uh, party politics involved. Uh, I don't know. So, do you really think that it is so so popular in Bulgaria to say we want to join the euro, having Greece next uh, to to Bulgaria? People see this in the newspapers as well, like they see it in Germany. So I first of all see that politicians like uh, uh, Boyko Borisov, like Andrei Blankovic, are telling people that's our future. Let's go in this direction, and that's why I also support. Jean-Claude Juncker, to say, okay, when there is a motivation, and there is a will to do so, to do what is already laid down in the Lisbon Treaty, what where you already confirmed mm -hmm. to, then we want to assist, we want to help you. That is not needed a lot of money, you know, about the assist assistant mechanisms which are planned, right. but to give them an idea that those who want to join are welcomed, it's positive, and even emotionally stabilizing, let me say, Uh, and on the other hand, uh, but that it's important for me to be extremely clear to those who don't want to join, who are accusing the euro and so on. Yeah, Because when Babish is asking Fizzo, please help me to sit on the table of the of the ECOFIN ministers to, uh, with the uh, with euro. the euro with the, the euro group, because I know that there is a lot of business going on, which is important for my financial market in Prague, in the Czech Republic. That's why I want to sit on the table. Then I say, okay, full stop. If you want, don't want to join, you don't sit on the table. And there we have to be crystal clear. On those who wants to join assistance and on those who don't want to join and even accusing Europe, they are out on the table. But can I, can I ask if I may take this point a little bit and, and just take, take, take this argument a little bit further down. Do you think that it's easier uh, for countries to reform inside the euro area or it's easier to reform outside the euro area on the Lisbon criteria, not just the economics? And actually, I would even say that the economics are secondary. But the issue of governance, in my view, is, is crucial for the issue of trust that you raised earlier on. So is it easier to bring countries in than reform from within? Because experience shows that it doesn't help to be in. And you mentioned Greece, but actually we haven't made much progress on the, on the institutional reform, let alone the structural reform, but the institutional reform, uh, we haven't really made, made that. So now are you saying that, well, because we've done it before, we should do it again, uh, and, and, and let's see how this works, or are you at the same time jeopardizing something that otherwise could work? I would say for politicians, it's easier to reform outside of the Eurozone. Because what would have happened in, in Greece? Because uh, in yeah. Greece, you would have a big inflation. That would be the reality. Yeah. And That's then right. you, you had no need as politicians to say to people, we have to reduce the pensions. No, it would be no need because inflation is the same. Uh, when you have a national currency that is, uh, uh, that is losing uh, 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 power and weight uh, and, and, and strength, yeah then it's the same. In the daily life of people, it's the same. Yeah. You cannot buy anything anymore when you have a strong inflation rate. But for oh. politicians, it's easier. You only say, it's inflation. I don't care. <laughs> that's, not, that's not responsible. See? That's not responsible. When you're spending too much, you have to cut. That is, it. That is uh, the problem. That's why, in reality, for the daily life of people all over Europe, when you have an unsustainable uh, economic <coughs> model in a country, it will not work with the euro, and it will not work without the, without the euro. Okay. So that's why I think uh, let's do our job. Let's simply take over responsibility and do our job. Okay, thank you very much. Well, why don't we open up the floor then for, for questions? We can take uh, we can perhaps some questions together and come back to the panel. Question here, Marek. Doesn't work. As you know, through the former leader of the European Commission, uh, I'm wondering, and I would like the opinion of the panel, whether we have been 
very slow, late in recognizing the design failure of the Eurozone, which led us to wrong microeconomic policies. And now we are at the point now discussing how to reform, what kind of policies we need to avoid the mistakes of the past. And I'm wondering, and I want the opinion of the panel, whether efforts to stabilize the business cycles should be strengthened relative to the efforts to continue structural reforms. We should continue structural reforms, but we have to modify that in terms of trying to find reforms which would have a little more growth, employment effect, which up to now we didn't do, we have not done. A very important question, of course. Marek, question here. We can collect questions if you like and take it around. Marek Rombrowski-Brugel. Frankly speaking, I am a bit disappointed that we, in this discussion, there is no progress in trying to decode what um, Eurozone uh, governance uh, really means in practice, especially coming back to this very first question. We know more or less what is the agenda of banking union and what, is, uh, what has been uh, accomplished, what has not. Uh, but regarding these two other uh, points which were mentioned, fiscal union and political union, I really don't know what, what does it mean. It's, uh, actually, we have in uh, both in Euro area and in EU 28 uh, several elements of fiscal union and political union. But then is the question whether we need something extra and what we need. And here, I, my suggestion would be to, to try to adopt some sort of functional analysis uh, based on a theory of fiscal federalism, uh, which is, I think, very good theoretical guidance to, to discuss what are benefits of centralizing certain tasks and certain resources on federal level, and opposite what kind of, of tasks and resources should remain on subnational level, meaning in this case national level. So, uh, because otherwise we'll still have debate that everybody will speak about fiscal union, but uh, uh, everybody will put something different in this meeting. Uh, some uh, politicians will dream about uh, uh, debt mutualization and uh, actually diluting uh, uh, fiscal budget constraints on national level. Other will think about something opposite, strengthening fiscal discipline, and et cetera, so, so. Hmm. Thank you very much. There's one more question here, and we can take a second round. Um, <coughs> Thank you, Lars Holgott, formerly with the Commission as well. Um, we've talked about solidarity. I agree that it's a key element. But solidarity is not about maintaining only a sound budget. Cannot be. Solidarity is about dealing with imbalances jointly. And the fact is that we have a common currency representing the economies of the members of the Eurozone, which has benefited Germany in particular in terms of having a lower currency than otherwise would have been the case, benefiting their exports, having a huge surplus. And what we've seen in the present governments of the Eurozone and the 
crisis is that the governments have actually done everything wrong in terms of pro-cyclical austerity policies, whilst the only game in town was the ECB with Mario Draghi in, in charge, doing whatever it takes, quantitative easing, which systematically has been criticized by Germany as being something that uh, was completely intolerable from the point of view of pensioners, rights, and, and interests, and all the rest. So solidarity means to have a joint burden of adjustment. The burden of adjustment has only been on the deficit countries, those who have been in trouble. There has been absolutely no discipline in regard to those who have a surplus, like in the case of Germany. That has to be corrected. That's one key element of governance <coughs> which has to be corrected. I don't think we need a fiscal union, but we do need an element of fiscal joint policy, which could perhaps represent something like 1% of GDP, I don't know. It doesn't have to be enormous, but it has to be in a way which is managed counter-cyclically and not the way we've done it up till now, pro-cyclically. So my provocative question to Mr. Weber on the panel is worth making. The, the FT had a lunch <coughs> with candidate Jens Weidmann. Now, Jens Weidmann has systematically <coughs> been against the ECB's whatever it takes, which has saved the euro, not the government. Wouldn't it be a disaster to have Jens Weidmann uh, in charge of the ECB <laughs> in a future crisis? I'll, I'll give Manfred just a second to think about how he's <laughs> 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 but, 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 but I, I, I mean, I, I, I must say, uh, you know, I did read that interview with, with great interest because, in fact, one of the things I should have said, but you just said it for us, is when we, when we think back to what happened in the euro crisis, the decisive moment, obviously, was when Draghi said whatever it takes and followed through. And, and really, up until that moment, I think the survival of the euro was in question. In retrospect, that was the turning point. And yet, here you have um, Weidmann, apparently the leading spitzenkandidate, uh, to, to be the, the head of the ECB, who does not accept this policy. Um, and he's not just some sort of weirdo. I mean, I think it, it, he represents a broad strand, maybe mainstream thinking in Germany. And so I talked about a lack of trust earlier, but maybe there's a different problem as well, which is there, there is a kind of philosophical debate which is unresolved, and it's a particularly dangerous philosophical debate when the most powerful economy in Europe uh, seems to have a different way of thinking from the, the, a lot of the other countries. I don't know how you get around that, but if Mr. Weidmann does become head of the ECB, I think he could... I'd be very interested to see how markets react. And even if they don't <laughs> react immediately, uh, what happens in the next crisis when you don't have an ECB president who says, does a Draghi and says, actually, I'm going to do something else? Um, uh, would you like to say something on the other questions? Uh, no, I'll just leave okay. it open. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you seem to be going in the direction and feeling that it is the differences of sort of a long-term vision yeah. that, that is actually the impediment to, to greater, to greater advancement. Well, it's, 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 it's the unresolved question, and, you know, in good times you can live with it, but yeah. then what, what happens when, it when comes you hit to, a crisis? That's right. yeah. And, and then we should prepare for bad times, not just for good times, right? Yeah. <laughs> good job. And before we give uh, Manfred the, the floor, uh, would you like to react also to the other questions? Yeah, that, no, uh, I mean, or the German surplus? Absolutely. So I, I, I think the German surplus uh, is an issue. Um, uh, I think it needs to be addressed. Do I think uh, the German government in the coalition agreement does it? I don't think so. Um, 
do I think uh, we uh, we should find mechanisms to uh, sort of convince Germany? I think yes, and that's why I said you know the the litmus the test is will we come to a system where you know basically the system can overvote uh, uh, the national decision making in certain circumstances other than you know basically when we lose market access. That's what that's what I discussed, and it's basically yeah. about about that question. Now, having said that, also I would warn against uh, <clears throat> sort of believing that uh, this would this would fix it all because um, I mean policy mistakes can still happen even if you had a federal system, right? I mean, so even if uh, there was a uh, so so the fact that the macroeconomic policy stance, fiscal policy stance in 2011 to 13 was too contractionary could have happened even if we had um, you know. Uh, um, an integrated policy system, and even if we have had the the, the ability to tell the Bundestag uh, to spend more money, right? I mean that that uh, would not have been concluded because majorities would have would have could have been in the other direction. So, so yes, I think it would be better if uh, if we move there. But I think if we really want to move there, we actually have to um, overcome very very substantial questions of legitimacy and. Uh, uh, political decision making that I don't think we can solve, and that's why you know we I don't think we can solve in the in the near term. That's why we will sort of end up with in a situation where basically we will have to coordinate our policies. We will have to continue to speak out, and I think it's the role of European <laughs> institutions, of the Eurogroup president, of uh, EPP party members, and so on, to talk and you know bring forward into the national debate the European case, but it may not always be perfect. And so, so I think we will, and, uh, we will survive, but it will not be perfectly functioning uh, monetary union. I guess that's sort of my yeah. sort of macro but, but take But can I urge you to take a view on, on Marek's question? So which bits of the fiscal, of the fiscal sort of, like, as you're talking about fiscal centralization, which bits would you still keep at the national level? And which bits would you, would you think would be important to move at the European level? Well, I mean, it's a bit of an <clears throat> sort of um, we can have an academic debate on that. I mean, I think basically, I think you need something for definitely for asymmetric shocks okay. um, when countries are at the brink of losing market access, and then you need need a way of coordinating the national policies or the alternative. Um, so to, uh, to 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 take care of the the area-wide fiscal stance, right? So if you want to take care of the area-wide fiscal stance, hmm. you either have your own budget and your borrowing capacity at the euro area level with which you take care of the fiscal stance, overall fiscal stance, and that would mean shifting significant spending from the national to the eurozone level. I think that's very difficult to achieve, uh, and it, hap it happened in the US only because the federal level emerged, right? It, it, was, it was not a transfer from the states to the federal level. So, so, so that's the one way, and if you don't achieve that, I think the only way is basically coordinating the national policies, and that means yeah. finding mechanisms of telling the national policymakers this is actually what mm. you should be doing, not just in the interest of your country, but in the interest of the system, right? And yeah. so, so I also feel that we are not strong enough with this on all countries. I mean, the European semester, for example, I mean, it has become a, a very, uh, in a sense, very bureaucratic exercise, compliance with recommendations as self-reported by the European Commission is very low, right? I mean, so, so we give these recommendations to member states. 
we have these nice debates in Brussels, but you know the national debates um, still go in a very different direction. So. Mm. Thank you, and Marfa, would you like to attempt the, any or some of the questions? Thanks for giving me the time for a deep <laughs> breath. For the, <laughs> uh, before I, I want to comment only on the last point on the question of uh, semester, because I share this. Uh, and there is one question on the table now. The European semester, the country-specific regulations, has the idea to define the reform program for the countries, yeah. to, com to have a better economic policy together, which leads to a kind of a common political union at the end. Because that is the question of political union, the labor market reform, taxation, and all these questions. Uh, if we want to achieve this, sorry, why don't we use the second big thing in the European Union, where we spend a lot of money for doing, for doing financing of the regional infrastructure, for example? Why shouldn't we do conditionality with the money which we spend with the regional funds towards the reform program in the countries? Why shouldn't be Europe seen? as not only the punishing partner who is giving you a lecture and an advice what you have to do, why shouldn't be Europe seen as a helping hand which assists you and gives you the money for doing the necessary reforms? Why not? I think that is a question which we have to combine our different political, uh, let me say, mechanisms which we have in hand uh, of the European level to achieve at the end the final goal. And on Draghi and, uh, and Weidmann, first of all, Draghi, absolutely, I share your, your view that he did the necessary steps to secure but I wouldn't say that he was alone, in a way. Again, Pasha Coelho and Akeni were also very hard-working politicians or people who did a job, a big job to create the, the circumstances, the conditions for the current grocery. It was not only Mario Draghi. It was a starting point in the most difficult time period. It was for sure Mario Draghi, but at the end, we all helped together and we, we achieved this success story. Nobody knows exactly what would have had happened in the deepest, darkest, darkest time uh, when we had the crisis, if there would have been a German uh, president of the ECB. It, frankly speaking, it's easier to be the president of, a, of the German central bank uh, and to speak about the future of the euro than to be the president of the European central bank and speak about the future of the euro. So that's why nobody knows this, what would have really been uh, happening. But, uh, but uh, the key question is, even if we all praise now Mario Draghi, we have to also say what you said before, Gideon, it's a question that we didn't, uh, let me say, have overcome the whole rescue mechanism for the euro. We still have a low zero interest rate policy of the ECB. And everybody knows that this is not a sustainable long-term uh, 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 currency policy which we have today in place. That's why we can praise Mario Draghi, but we also have to add that we must find an exit. We must find an exit. Nobody has this force for the moment. America not so strong, and, uh, and, uh, and Japan as well. So it is still a lot to do, having let me say, the task uh, in mind. On the surplus question, I fully share what was, uh, what was said, because um, uh, I always uh, criticized, even in my country, in Germany, that there was a lot of debate about budgetary discipline and reform approach, which is necessary. But we had, have to add it to the surplus debate. That was absolutely fair from the Commission to put this, these points on the table. And that's why I was in a weak form criticizing before uh, in my first uh, introduction statement the coalition agreement. Because again, it's a lot of consumption that is also benefiting to the, to the investments to the uh, point. But we have to do much more investment in the future of the country, in infrastructure, oh. in digital agenda, and so on. There must be much more investment is necessary, in Germany, even in Germany. 
then we are doing this. And that would help the whole economy, economy in, in Europe if Germany would invest much more from its, uh, from its GDP, from its surplus, which we have in Germany. That's why that's an absolutely fair argument. And uh, if you allow, I want, to, I want to put another aspect for this uh, third as point of responsibility on the table. I, I, I think, and my group, we will discuss this tomorrow, I think having the idea that we have to keep responsibility in the center of the debate, why shouldn't we think about a state insolvency mechanism for the European Union? Uh, we have this for the big financial institutes, so for the, we have this already in, uh, implemented, to have the idea that we have in the time of crisis a mechanism to resolve and solve problems. Why shouldn't we do this for the, if we have now a positive economic development and the interest rates are down, why shouldn't we look for such a mechanism? In America, it's possible that a state is going in insolvency, and in Europe, it's impossible because we think it's a, a catastrophe. That is what we believe in, to, to implement some kind of structures which are bringing all the points together, solidarity, responsibility, and what I said, democracy as a structural uh, argument. Uh, if I may, there is actually an interesting question that's coming through the, through the web. Our uh, viewers from far away, Stavros Zenios from Cyprus, is asking, uh, I mean, he, he mentioned the issue of, insolven of, of sovereign insolvency, but he's asking the question, before we go to this issue, what about sovereign contingent debt as insurance? Is that a, is an idea? Is an idea to take forward before we even think about how nations can can run bankrupt? You mean about the? Can you explain what sovereign contingent debt? Is? Okay, yeah, when sorry. you oh, the sovereign contingent debt. That's it. So when you actually link the payment of the debt, the interest rate, to actually to the cycle we are in. So in good times you pay more interest rate, and in bad times uh, you pay less. Now that doesn't uh, substitute the need for thinking about insolvency in the states. But uh, it does actually push it further out. It pushes the need for thinking about insolvency <coughs> in states further out. So it's just like, instead of pay issuing bonds, are going to pay a fixed amount of interest, which actually you know, makes countries go into a lot of trouble when they're, particularly they lose access to the markets, having something that, is just, something that is linked to your level of growth. It's as though you buy equity in a country. You can't buy the assets of the country. So instead of that, uh, you buy sovereign debt. Technical, I'm, technical I'm, question. I'm ready to discuss about uh, is a uh, attractive uh, products and mechanisms to make it uh, to make it uh, uh, from an economic point of view better to to to, to have to have to, to, to have sustainable debts. But the key question for Europe is that after the Second World War, the countries in Europe decided to spend every year more money than they have huh? every mm. year. Huh? Okay. And and That's this true. game is over. This game is over. I'm 45 years old. I'm in the I don't think it's over. I mean, France, France hasn't balanced its yeah, budgets since yeah, the 70s. Exactly. That is what I criticize. That is what I criticize. Um, the idea of the euro regulation is that we have the 3% <coughs> is the upper limit. It's not the normal limit. It's the upper limit of what we have in an economic cycle. Huh? But nobody's respecting this anymore. So I think my generation must give the people an idea that we cannot solve the problems with going to the bank account. That is, that is over. That system is over. We cannot have more debt in the European Union. Uh, on the other hand, again, we can talk about technologies, how we can it uh, sure. more sustainable, uh, better managed, but the principle behind it, we have to work for sustainable budgets. Just a, just a couple, actually, more as questions as, as much as comments, but sure. on the sovereign contingent debt thing, just, I'd just be interested to know if, if, if there's a market for it, why not? But I mean, will the markets buy it? Because I think generally bondholders want a steady stream of income, and if they're told, well, hang on, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not paying this year because the growth isn't so good. They, they might be a bit wary of that. 
But I also wondered whether um, you, Manfred said we've got we haven't solved this problem of zero interest rates. Interest rates are going to have to rise. We're going to have to get back to a more normal situation. But whether a norm, more normal situation on interest rates is actually what restarts the euro crisis, because it seems to me that Italy's debt is serviceable at 130% of GDP when interest rates are very low. When they go back to a more normal rate, do, do you do you then have yes. Italy's immediately in a fiscal crisis? Yes, yeah. Then. Well, well, let me just say a few words on this uh, sovereign debt, uh, debt restructuring and the fiscal stance. I mean, uh, uh, I, I guess my first point is there seems to be now this con consensus between France and Germany, so we need solidarity and sort of uh, the exchange for solidarity is the sovereign debt restructuring mechanism. Now, I do think that is sort of a feasible avenue, but I think the, the equation currently doesn't add up. So, I mean, we cannot have a sovereign debt restructuring mechanism and solidarity mostly in the form of, oh, let's reshuffle a little bit the European budget. I mean, I think that's just not, not a sustainable uh, uh, way, or way of doing it. Um, the way it works in the US, and sorry for giving the Federation example, is yes, there is the, the scope for um, a sovereign debt restructuring uh, mechanism on sub-federal debts on state debt and regional debt. But yes, it works in a context where um, the federal government is 25% of GDP, where you have um, uh, a fully established banking union and a statewide uh, capital market uh, that operates as a single capital market. Now, if you, if you want to touch um, the sovereign debt restructuring mechanism and make it make in the Eurozone debt explicitly and you know, automatically uh, restructurable based on some whatever criteria so that everybody knows this is, this is going to happen. I think we will immediately have very quickly a sovereign debt crisis. Uh, and I don't see the counter mechanism that will help us actually uh, to cope with, uh, with the negative consequences of that. So, so I think the way I would go ahead there if, if I mean, I mean, first of all, I think we currently already have that uh, to some extent. I mean, the ESM treaty says if debt is not sustainable, who defines sustainability? It's the DSO, and it's a unanimous decision uh, by the Eurogroup. So, so, so there is already this element of slight element of uncertainty on sovereign debt, right? I mean, we know that not all national sovereign debt can always be safe, right? And there's some uncertainty, but basically the presumption is um, that unless you're really sort of becoming totally crazy, there will be support programs early on so that you can quasi-consider sovereign debt quasi-safe, and that's Mario Draghi's uh, whatever it takes, which, by the way, was, of course, it was supported by Germany. It was supported by the Chancellery. I mean, I agree that there was a lot of opposition from, uh, from the Bundesbank, but it was supported by, by the German Chancellery and by you know, leading figures in, in the German political system. And so, so I, I, you know, I, I think that, I mean, to my mind, that system uh, is, leaves some uncertainty, uh, which probably is warranted, given that all the national decision-making on budgets is national, and so you need a little bit the stick out there also. But if you make the stick too big, um, I think it's, it's not working. And I'm a little bit worried that this Franco-German debate now is moving too strongly on the side of... Um, of the restructuring and not enough thinking about you know what are the other 
uh, things we can put on the table to, to make that a stable, a stable overall construction. Okay, let's take two more, three more questions. One there, there, and there. Yes. So Sander back. Hello, Stefan Holt here from the IMF. Um, last year, Sweden and Denmark announced that they would review the, the possible membership of the SSM with the banking union. And if you look at the first question, most answers, what we really need is deepening the banking union as, as a, to, to strengthen the, the monetary union. How do you see this asymmetry, this possible different geographical coverage where you have you would have members of the banking union which are different from members of the monetary union. Thank you, Stefan. Question? Thank you, Bernard Segal. My background is with the European Trade Union Movement. Um, I, I want to pick up on uh, the point concerning a European unemployment benefit. It's usually received with a smile, um, a negative smile. And uh, I don't understand why, because if, if we are here speaking of solidarity and if we are even thinking of the possibility of having part of the budget uh, in case of uh, um, asymmetric, asymmetric, asymmetric shock, you understood what I meant, thank you very much, then I don't see why um, to be closer to the people we should not um, think of or study the various proposals that have been made, which are quite reasonable, temporary, but which would at least show to the people that this Euro governance has a meaning for them. Uh, I, I just don't understand all the smiles um, around that uh, question. I'm not saying it's simple. I'm saying it has to be considered. Okay. There was a question here. Uh, they can come back to the, to the panel. <coughs> Hi, Tom Nuttall from The Economist. Um, I wanted to look at the, um, the, the immediate ESM Oh, EMU reform agenda. I mean, leaders were about to discuss this seriously for the first time in several years. Um, and as usual, this will be based on some sort of Franco-German compromise. And we have some sort of idea of what that's going to look like. Um, something on the ESM, something on banking union, although EDIS looks tricky, um, possibly something on corporation tax. Um, but it's all pretty small bore, at least from the perspective of the French. Um, you know, we're talking about a very small budget, perhaps, for some cross-border investments. Um, none of the sort of institutional reforms that Macron has mentioned. Um, nothing on mutualization of future debt. So my question is, does this look like enough of a basis for genuine EMU reform to sort of lock into some of the more long-term aims mm. that the panel was discussing? Um, and is it going to be enough for Macron to accept? Because we've discussed a fair amount about what the Germans might be able to accept, not very much about what the French might be able to accept. Thank you very much. Um, who would like to go first? Three questions. Just, just briefly on, on Tom's question. I mean, it seems to me the French are in quite a weak position because they don't have a plan B. You know, that, that Macron made this, this great speech at the Sorbonne and it was applauded all around Europe. But I remember talking to um, a senior French diplomat shortly afterwards and said, but, you know, his whole scheme domestically as well 
is seems to be dependent on Germany playing ball, and what happens if they don't? And he may be about to face that. Uh, it may be that he can gloss it over and that the pickup in the French economy is sufficient for that not to spark some sort of crisis in France. But, uh, but I don't think he's going to get, uh, as you say, very much. And, and that is quite a moment because, um, you know, we think back to May, this was meant to be the great relaunch of Europe and he was the, the shining hope. And if he gets, even from a grand coalition government with the SPD in it, not very much. I don't know what that says, really. Um, Guntram, your take? No, I mean, I, my, uh, that's why I made the point on the debt restructuring and, uh, you know, the money that's on the table. I mean, I think at the moment the compromise that seems to be emerging seems to my mind to not lead to, 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 stable, to a stable system. Um, and, um, and, you know, whether I, I cannot answer whether that will be acceptable to France, but I certainly see that some in, in Italy and so on are getting nervous. And that's why I, I would sort of uh, share um, the view that I think we should probably rethink a little bit. And perhaps the current, the current setup, um, I mean, I, I think the current setup on the, on the debt is sufficiently... Um, uh, vague uh, at this stage to uh, satisfy both sides, uh, it seems to me. So I, I'm not sure that you know moving the next step on a, an explicit debt restructuring mechanism is actually so desirable because uh, it can create a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, tensions and a lot of problems. Um, Sorry, uh, just a sentence further, but thinking further about it, I mean, I think it comes back to that philosophical issue we were talking about because if you talk to the Germans. As you say, that Macron sees it to me as a quid pro quo. I do this, I do these domestic reforms, and then you meet me halfway on, on Eurozone reform. Whereas quite often if you speak to people in Berlin, they'll say, yeah, but they need to do those reforms for their own good. Why should we reform? Why should we reward them for do, just doing sensible things they should be doing anyway? And there was an echo of that, I thought, in, in Manfred's when he said, you know, we've just got to get beyond this era of debt financing. That That's over. And I think the French sort of think, well, if we do that, you've got to give us something. And I'm not sure the Germans see it that way. I think Europe needs the success of Macron. Europe needs the success of Macron. When you compare Macron with Obama in the way of ambitious, liberal, future-orientated, partnership-orientated, then we must have in mind that after Obama we had, we have Trump. And that's why we need the success of Macron. He must succeed, absolutely. I say we need the success of, of, the of Macron. The than the sword. Of Macron. <laughs> and and, uh, and that's, that's for all of us extremely important. But on the other hand, it must be allowed, even, even for example, my group was opposing to the idea of the transnationalist. Huh? We are supporting Macron in a lot of positive, future-oriented, pro-European fashions, but it is still allowed to have points where you disagree with Macron. Yes, that's why having, for example, the, the idea of two, three percent of GDP for a eurozone budget in mind. What is the purpose of this? What are we doing with the money? If you want to do investments, France can do it, Italy can do it, Germany can do it. Investments, so you don't need a European structure for creating investments in Europe. We have. We have the structure. We have 10 projects. We have everything in the European Union. We can do it. Let's do it. I experienced 
that last year, when we established the 2018 budget for the European Union, I saw that France was a country was very reluctant to increase the budget of the European Union, I have to say. Huh? That is the reality when we talk about budgetary things. That's why let's talk about substance now. Let's sit together, let's think what is necessary, what is good and what is bad. I would say after the re-election of Angela Merkel, there is a political momentum there. 2018 is a working year, is a year where we can decide, and the momentum is there, that everybody wants to pick up the hand of the open hand of, of Macron and to go and to go and to go to go forward. And uh, on, uh, on uh, the question of the euro, whether it is seen in a positive way, you refer to the unemployment uh, insurance uh, scheme. Um, I would say it in another way around. I'm from Lower Bavaria. That is my constituency. And there I have two plans of BMW. The fifth, fifth th sixth, and uh, seventh series is, is produced there. And I'm wondering myself why the workers my voters, hopefully a few of them, so are not seeing every day the advantage of the euro in their daily life. So the positive sides of euro means not to establish an unemployment insurance scheme. That could be in the future an idea, but the advantage of Europe is first of all that our economy in all over Europe are doing very well in a lot of fields, and this is an economic success story behind. So, that is a big problem for all of us, that the European achievements, the European advantage which we have, is not, is not uh, uh, reaching people, it's not in the mind of people. We have no success stories for the Europe. We only, have, we only have problems, we only have crisis and problems in Europe and no success stories behind. And a final word on, 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 the, on the North, on Sweden and Denmark, and on these countries. Therefore, I think we have to see the, uh, finally, we will not force anybody to do what in the Lisbon Treaty has uh, underlined, not everybody has agreed on this, but uh, has underlined. Uh, but but we have to but we have to see the let me say the outcome, the political reality. When I was last time in Helsinki, and I met the finance minister, the party leader of uh, Kokomos, of my EPP party uh, partner party, it's uh, Petri Orpo, and I met him, and he was smiling over the whole face, and he was very happy due to the uh, situation that one of the big banks of Sweden no, no dear. No dear. went from Stockholm to Helsinki only to the idea euro and part of, single, uh, of, of banking union. And additionally, when we have Brexit in front of us, if we show what people in Europe what it means to be not anymore part of this European Union, to be not anymore part of this uh, 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 structure, I think we have to give the proof that it is a big advantage to be part of the club. That is what we have to guarantee. And if we can show this, and I think we will show this, I'm sure we will show this. So you, then you, you show it by turning Britain into a sort of smoking ruin. Uh, <laughs> no, I would say, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> no, I, mean, I pick up I'm, this. I'm kidding you, but. I, I'm, <laughs> pick, I'm, I'm picking up this, uh, this uh, point. I say people in Britain decided to do so. To turn Britain into Full a smoking room, yeah. Okay. Full stop, so <laughs> let's, let's see what okay. happens. Mainly the Tory internal bottles and quarrels uh, uh, achieved this. And finally, if you allow, oh, as, please, a, yeah. as, a, as, a, as a general remark at the end, we discussed a lot about structure, about technicalities, about how we can go further after the success stories, two and a half point growth rate. One thing is for me the most important one is because when we see Trump, when we see Brexit, when we see Catalonia, when we see that very strong radicals are governing in Warsaw, when we see the instability even in Germany for six months now, I would say there is more going on in the Western societies than we think.
that we observe for the moment. There is mm. much more going on. And the big question for the currency and for our living model, for the European way of life, is whether we will have a convincing model mm. for the societies competing with Chinese and others. There is a big game going on in the next years and the next decade, a big game going on. And if we recognize as Europeans that it's not up to the technologies about the question whether we do an unemployment uh, insurance scheme together, that is important, don't, under, don't misunderstand me. But if we understand that this is about rescuing our way of life, about yeah. our model to govern and to, to build up a society, that understanding is more important than the technician technicalities because that is giving us the fundament to, to go further together. And that is the only way uh, to stabilize our, our model. It's a critical time period. Thank you very much for that final, very thoughtful uh, comment. I'm afraid that's all we have uh, time for today. I believe you, you have to leave. Uh, well, let me uh, thank you all three for joining us uh, for this and for helping us co-organize this. You. And uh, no doubt we will hear more of this. Please joining me in thanking the panelists for their very, very interesting thank you. Thank you. Thanks, that's fun. I learned a lot.